Today, I interviewed my friend Simon Sweetman. For those of you who are at all familiar with New Zealand and specifically Wellington's music scene and just anything really to do with music in New Zealand, Simon Sweetman is pretty much a staple when it comes to giving his perspective on performances, bands, and uh, everything in between. I initially met Simon just because I wanted to get some advice on podcasting in general, which he has his own podcast as well called the Simon Sweetman Podcast. And I wanted some tips, tricks, anything that I could kind of use to develop my own skill. And we had a coffee, had a catch up, and uh, we got along really well. And he's an incredibly easy gentleman to talk to, as as you'll find out in the podcast. Um, we talked about a whole load of stuff. We talked about interview skills, podcasting in general, music, just techniques, everything like that. It was fun. Simon also has a blog called Off the Tracks, which he still regularly posts to. Uh, his podcast is really interesting as well. It's been going for a long time. New episodes pretty much every week. Highly recommend you check that out. Pretty much all the links to everything will be in the show notes below. Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the episode. Uh, it was a, it was a, it was a good, it was a good one. I'm in a weird mood right now because uh, we've just announced that level three is coming back here into New Zealand with the lockdown, which means my Auckland tour or portion of the American Refugees show is, uh, well, it's shit has hit the fan, ladies and gentlemen. I might not be doing it. Um, we're still all go for our American Refugees in the South Island, though, and we're still selling tickets to Wellington. So if you want to come, come to that. We are still selling tickets for Auckland, don't get me wrong. Um, and if we continue with the lockdown, do not worry. We will give you refunds if you want to buy tickets. Please come be awesome to see you guys there i'm begging you i'm on my knees anyway enjoy the show ladies and gentlemen find simon sweetman's stuff in the details below uh and let me know what you think bye Conversation off sure. with. Can I? Oh, can I? Hit yeah, yeah, yeah. Did I just push, yeah. push it down? And uh, this is the coffee yeah, for yeah. those who are listening. Um, <laughs> I actually won that. It's funny. I won it from a uh, well, Fringe, New Zealand Fringe Festival, mm. which I have a show coming up in on the twenty fourth, twenty fifth, and twenty sixth. Oh, that's an expert plug. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> eh? Yeah, yeah. You didn't actually win that. You just needed to slide yeah, that everything. plug in. <laughs> I just want to find, you know, the, uh, ah, it doesn't matter, but you've got a, uh, so you've got a podcast mm. and you've very, been going for ages. I have with a very imaginatively titled podcast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just used my own name. There was a, like a lot of things that was a placeholder Yeah, and it was like, oh, I'll just, we'll just call it Sweetman podcast and then work out what we're going to do with it. And, uh, yeah, it's just stayed that way. And I have thought about renaming it, but I think now it's been five years, so uh, and 240 episodes, so renaming it, I mean, seems a bit silly as well, so that's what it is, yeah. What's your th thoughts on, like, having a name in the podcast? Because I always wonder, like, yeah, yeah. if well, I ever wanted to exit it, Yeah, yeah. it's like, ah. Uh. So I did it for, a, I actually did it, apart from the placeholder thing, I did do it for a specific reason. I, you know, my name was basically Mud, because I'd been writing um, often quite savage reviews of bands. I'd written 
loads of really positive things, but somehow those get lost on the internet and people don't remember those. They just remember <laughs> the nasty ones. So I felt like my name was mud and I thought the whole idea for me of the podcast was I'm going to invite people into my house and hopefully prove that I'm not an asshole. Mm-hmm. And I think I think a friend suggested to me, well, why don't you know, why don't you actually just call it Sweetman, the Sweetman Podcast or Sweetman Podcast, and then your, your name is front and center? Because I was known, you know, when I say known, um, I'm realistic about what that means. I don't mean there were millions. You of were people. hated. Yeah, but I was known and hated for uh, a blog I was doing on stuff, and that was called Blog on the Tracks. And I wanted to, rem- and I've got a website called Off the Tracks because I was balancing the. Too, and I'm very happy with Off the Tracks as a website, but I didn't want to have the, the tracks thing in the title of the podcast. So I just thought I'd put my name in it. So what are my thoughts on it? I'm, I'm stuck with it. Yeah. Uh, I think it's okay. I think, you know, some people have their names in their podcasts sure. and some people don't. When yeah. I was applying for uh, funding, it's weird because you write about yourself in the third person mm. with the name of your own podcast mm. as well. It's like, you know, the host, Gavin, will <laughs> use... XYZ yeah. production process. Yeah, yeah. So, so these blogs that you were writing, mm. are these all New Zealand bands that you're reviewing? Oh, no, it was all sorts, man. I, I mean, I, I did it from, uh, what, 2007 until about 2016. Was it a paid gig? It was eventually a paid gig. Like a lot of yeah. things that started off, it was free. I mean, I was a freelance music writer. I mean, I wrote for the newspaper back when they had people doing that in a freelance capacity. So... I started writing reviews for the newspaper in about 2002 and I'd got a bit of a reputation for being um, quote unquote a savage reviewer, you know, an yeah. honest reviewer. So I was quite happy to, so I was reviewing international gigs and, and a bit of comedy yeah. as well, but um, mostly music. And, uh, you know, I was quite happy to say if I thought something was shit yeah. and that's my opinion and that's what a reviewer does uh-huh. and it's balanced hopefully with some background knowledge of the subject and, well, and that's what I was runs say. on the board having, you know, absorbed a lot of related culture, sure. But, you know, I was quite happy to... I mean, it wasn't as savage as things get now because this was sort of pre-internet explosion and this was old-fashioned print newspaper writing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I wasn't using, you know, horrible, horrible, you know, language and... and you know, and I'm not about that. I'm about sort of saying what I think of something. And so that morphed into online writing and the blogs came up through stuff and they were looking for people to do um, a film blog and a, you know, what a, a makeup blog and a pets blog and things like that. And it was like a no brainer to me. Well, I could be the guy that does the music blog and I wrote to them and, and they wrote back and said, actually, you're on our list. We were about to contact you. And um, so I started doing it and I just took to it and enjoyed it. It was just a daily missive. I could write whatever I wanted. So I could review my own record collection. I could write reviews of gigs. I could um, champion things I thought no one had heard of. I could be a total geek and go, you know, Phil Collins is actually underrated. People who are mean to him are wrong and he is why and do that kind of style think piece. I could just write whatever I wanted. So it was great. The the whole thing was, it was just about music and I wanted to do it. I realised if I didn't do it every day, I'd stop doing it. So I think they only wanted it two or three times a week, but I did it five times a week. Yeah. And because daily deadline's better than a weekly deadline or a casual thing because then you just, it just becomes, it's the writing muscle, you're flexing it and it's just happening. So I did it. 
And then I think I wrote 400 of them before there was any conversation of money. Wow. Yeah, so, you know, I did it for a long time before. And then I was, I basically said to them, well, what happened was I wrote this, what I thought was a really cool piece. I interviewed this musician, Phil Judd, famous New Zealand musician from the 70s and 80s. He created, he basically was the guy who created the band Split Ends. And he'd been a bit of a recluse. And I'd spent years trying to get him to do an interview because he lives in Melbourne and he didn't want to talk to anyone. And I got this interview and I did a really great interview with him and I wrote it up for the blog and it was the 400th um, piece and I was really happy with it. And then Stuff put it on the front page with a big tabloid heading about how he'd fallen out with a bandmate and it was really cheesy and I was really angry about it. And I thought, well, if they're going to exploit my writing like that, the least they could do is pay me, you know, yeah. like because I'm doing this for nothing, for my own sweat and they're kind of making me look like I'm, I'm the hat guy that wants to stir shit up when I don't. So it's funny, you can compromise your morals pretty quickly if there's a paycheck. So I said, well, you know, at least pay me. And they were like, oh, well, you know, yeah, you need to lead that conversation. Yeah, we'll give you some money. So then it became a paid gig. I think I wrote seventeen or 1,800 of them all up. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. So what is, that's, that's huge. Yeah, it's nuts. But it's all mainly restricted to the arts, comedy and music. Yeah, it was all arts. It was all arts. I mean, the, 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 it was called Blog on the Track, so the blog itself was really music focused, but I could occasionally write about an author or a comedian or someone, particularly if there was a music angle, you know, a filmmaker. Sure. I, could, I could deviate a little bit because those things are all related, but I, it was always about finding the music angle. How did you develop this relationship with music? Yeah. With music? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Specifically? Yeah, music was the thing, and it always was, and I think I was probably six or seven years old when I can remember developing the start of my own taste, and I guess music was in the house, and... My, I've got an older brother, he was into music, my parents were into music, but I pretty quickly became obsessive about it. So I was eight years old and nine years old reading record covers and wanting to find out which musicians were on, you know, and going through my parents' collection and finding like, oh, well, that bass player's on that record. Oh, let's see if I can find him on another. Even though I couldn't necessarily identify yeah. the sound he was making, I became interested in the name. And so you'd research the session players. And so it was very nerdy stuff, writing lists, writing out lyrics, you know, coating the walls of my bedroom with handwritten lyrics from, you know, Pink Floyd songs, David Bowie songs, whatever, Beatles. And, uh, and then getting into stuff that was more, I guess, contemporary for my, for my age growing up. Right. When, when hip hop exploded, I got massively into the very commercial rap music Run of DMC. the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. And then um, it just kind of stuck. I mean, I played music a bit. I, I still play a little bit. I'm a drummer. Um, I've kept that quiet for a few years because when you're writing savage reviews, it's best to not be like, oh, by the way, come and check yeah, out my yeah, band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I made a living playing in a covers band for years, which is not a cool thing to do. But again, it was a paycheck. It was a necessary thing. I enjoyed it. Um, and then, yeah, so it's just always been the thing. And I guess alongside with that, writing has been the thing, you know, like into got into poetry when I was reading poetry when I was... I don't know. I mean, obviously some things when I was a kid, but certainly 12, 13, reading poetry, writing poetry at 13, haven't stopped. Um, been writing poetry and thoughts, stories, uh, non-stop really since then. And then that morphed into, or, you know, dovetailed with journalism and, yeah, writing and music. Those have been the things. And how, in, how important has that, like, it sounds almost like an obsessive yeah, relationship does, with yeah. music. 
is that I essential? Think it, was. it sounds yeah. like it was. And was is that essential in what, what do you think that brings to the table when it comes to reviewing other... Well, it's funny. It used to bring a lot, and I guess oh, it, it still does. Uh, but the internet is a good way of people catching up. You know, okay. like, so when I was, uh, you know, and I'm being very careful to not say, you know, I was some OG that was around before the internet. You and, can say that. And, well, I mean, I, I was around before the internet, but... This is that tall poppy yeah, syndrome coming no, no, in, no. man. You got to own it. Own no, no, it. I mean, of course I was around before the internet, and I think I've done an okay job of adapting to the online world. But, Absolutely, you know, from what but, I've you know, seen, which I want to yeah, talk to you about. Yeah, 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 but, you know, I'm no digital native, so, like, you know, I still don't know all the shortcut keys. Sure. You know, and I still, sure, yeah, I still yeah. have my re- weird ways of doing things, and someone not necessarily younger, sometimes someone older than me will go, right. oh, you realize you can do that? And I'm like, oh, cool, that's if helpful. It just shaved like, a year off my life. Thank and you y- very yeah, much. And yet I'm on a computer all day, every day. So I'm no master of the computer, but I can type fast and I'm interested in things and I look things up. But before that, I was doing the, the old world version of that. I was reading books. I was going to the library. I was, as I say, a, a record wasn't just a thing to put on and listen to. You devoured every side of the cover you looked for the hidden information if a record didn't have any liner notes telling you about it you know it it at least had who wrote the songs and you and I would write that down and look for those songwriters somewhere else as I say to begin with just in my parents you know 100 records or whatever they had do you think there's a lost sense of like meaning that music has going completely digital now yeah there there is for a lot of people compared to just purely physical yeah there is for a lot of people i mean and you know i understand that i've been pretty pretty um a long time ago i sort of realized it didn't really matter how you were listening to music as long as you were you know it doesn't matter what the format is so i had this enormous cd collection uh and that was my currency. It was yeah. weird. I mean, I worked in record CDs, shops. CDs, man. I had Ooh. about 6,000 CDs at one point. <laughs> and now I have about 20, I it's think. crazy, you know? right? Yeah. The compression of space. Yeah, yeah. The... and I had, and I traded a lot of my CDs in for credit to buy records. And I guess being a, wanting to move into being a tiny bit of a purist. And I always had a record collection, but I got very interested in building that record collection and having a classic collection of things. So... I had thousands and thousands of records and now I've got that down to a much more manageable, yeah. I don't know, maybe 1,500 records or something like that. And I'll probably I'll probably look to drop that down further um, for a variety of reasons. Space is always sure. the final frontier. Sure. Uh, money. And uh, the fact that, man, I just listen to Spotify and YouTube. You know, that's how I find music now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I... You know, I don't have any moral dilemma around that because I was getting free music when music had a cost. So I'm used to being the bad guy. Sure. And so, you know, you know, yes, it sucks if artists aren't getting paid, but at the same time, uh, that's not my problem. And I've done a lot of unpaid work, and I've, totally. I've, I've done a lot of promotional work for artists that that has maybe gone unthanked or unnoticed or whatever. So we're, we're all getting fucked over one way or another. <laughs> I don't think the responsibility yeah. lies with the listener. I really don't. I mm. think the responsibility lies with these companies that are going out and just yeah, like fucking the artists yeah, every totally. single way that they get to. And you look, know what I mean? Like yeah, that's, totally. And look, that's always been happening. But know? they blame us. That's yeah, the yeah, thing. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like, yeah. You're a responsible listener. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. like, well, we're going to pay them two cents a listen. Not yeah. even that. Two cents yeah. a listen would be insane. They yeah. don't even pay you that. Yeah. I think what I was listening to recently is there's an executive 
on the Spotify board, and he was talking about how now it's more important for you to list, like release a, or one of my friends was telling me this, release a consistent stream of media more so than ever. Mm. Back in the day, you used to be like, release an album, go dark for yeah, like four for or five years. years longer. Yeah. Exactly. But now... Book a tour, one yeah, tour. Yeah, 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 and you're good. But now it's like oh, totally, it's, totally man, different. Man, it's relentless. And I look, I mean, even I find that, you know, I'm spamming the world about what I'm doing mm-hmm. and it's this finite audience. And you actually, only get like a little blip and then it that's goes... That's it. And it's this finite audience that is actually happy with what they were getting outside of the noise. Yeah. But if I don't do the noise, I don't look like I'm doing the work and the little wee ripples from those waves of noise do pull someone in eventually Mm -hmm. and it's awful like I feel caught in that trap like Um, a cycle where you have to consistently yeah I totally feel like that you know but it's a trap of my own doing yes um you know and what's the alternative not do it and at the moment that doesn't feel like something I are you talking about your podcast right yeah, now? Everything. And, podcast, yeah, everything. Podcast, the blog. I mean, the podcast, I've just, I'm in the middle of the biggest break I've ever had from it, you know. Explain. What do you, I what, just, can you explain? Yeah, I just took a break. I just took a summer break. Oh, I, for yeah. some reason, I think oh. they like the break. Like, oh. I made it, boys. Oh, nah, Way. man. Shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, congratulations. No, no, no. Yeah, That's thanks. sick. I got a limo down here. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, no, sorry. Uh, I, <laughs> I took a, obviously took a forced break during the lockdown. Mm. I made the, and, uh, you know, we've, we've met one, really one other time before this. Yeah. And we had a chat and I was saying to you that I, decided made the decision i'm actually not going to deal with zoom calls and stuff like that when people are worried about what the fuck's happening i don't want to be an email in their inbox going can we still just have a chat even though a lot of artists love having a chat about what they're doing and a lot of people wanted to process the the lockdown measures through chatting with people i just didn't want to be one more person yeah in that and i my main responsibility during that time was childcare. so took a few weeks off for that got back to it realized actually that was good to not have that to think about and um and then i've just taken yeah shall i use the word hiatus i've just taken holiday for the summer period and i'm actually really enjoying it i mean i've recorded a couple of conversations with people Mm -hmm. when i've been up in auckland it's always good to grab someone for later on so i recorded a conversation in hawks bay and one in auckland and we're doing this now and you know i'll always i'll never turn down the opportunity to talk to someone but i'm just not putting them out because i put them out every week and again, it's that thing. I started off putting the podcast out every fortnight. And then when I wasn't ready to get one out, a week slipped by and then two weeks slipped by. And then I think it was five weeks in between putting them out. And then I thought, this is a mess. I'm just going to create the rod for my back. I work better like that. Mm-hmm. If I publish every week, then one way or another, when the week comes around, if someone drops out and I don't have a podcast, I'll work out a way to fill that spot. And I have. Yeah. And that's a really good, that's just how I work. I'm a, I am a good deadline chaser, you know, like freelance writing taught me that when I was filing reviews for the newspaper, you might have 10 minutes to write uh, about the gig, mm-hmm. you know, back in the days when they would publish the next day and the review would actually be a thing people were looking for when, when the Rolling Stones would play the stadium here, you know, none of that stuff's happening anymore, but it was exciting, you get a taxi home and you leave during the encore and you're processing your thoughts and you yeah, run in and you've got 10 minutes to, and, and it's going to happen. You're going to do it, you know, short of a technological meltdown, it's going to happen. And, you know, I went to the big day out one year and there was a technological meltdown and Neil Young was the headliner and that's why the newspaper wanted a, a, a review of Neil Young. And I had to do an old fashioned, you know, felt like a sports reporter from the, from the 80s. I had to ring up 
and dictate my review down the line for someone to sit and type up and that, that was exciting you know and we were yeah. that we were chasing a deadline and that stuff's fun so you know I do come from that world yeah in as much as I can and you know I'm amazed by what people put out now in this in this day and age people just stay up all night and put things out for no money and mm-hmm. you go to websites and you listen to podcasts and the content is incredible and you you, you step back for a minute and you go how is all this happening and, and the reason that's happening is people want to connect. Yeah. That's the reason. That's the simple reason. People want to connect. People want, to, want a, uh, a reason to, frankly, not put a bullet in their brain or anyone I else's. I do. <laughs> I think it's, that thing is a very, very good point. I think people need a motive. Yeah. And I think um, people create them themselves. Mm. Well, I mean, we all do to a certain degree. Mm. But I feel like creating like a podcast or pursuing like an art form uh, is both a love of the art, but also it helps you it does give you a sense of like meaning and significance because yeah, yeah. you're like, oh shit, yeah, okay, listen, I'm working on this song. I got to complete this song. It's like, it's a project. It's something to work towards, yeah, yeah, which is I, huge. I you think know? The, the other thing for me that is worth mentioning is, uh, you know, I did, a, I did my time doing 10-minute phone conversations too. Mm. So the 10-minute phone is a real skill. But it's ten also, minute phone or what is so that? you know ten minute phone interview with a famous person. Yeah, you've got uh-huh. ten minutes, and you've they've got a new album out, and they're going on tour, and you've got ten minutes to talk to them, <laughs> and you've got to squeeze in all the questions they've already heard, but make them sound like they of haven't. Of course, yeah. And you've got to turn around, and I, you know the best example for me was, uh, I get a phone call at twelve o'clock one day. Uh, can you do an interview with John Paul Jones? He is the bass player at that time in a band called uh, Them Crooked Vultures with, um, you know, Dave Grohl from Foo Fighters yeah, and yeah. stuff. But he's the bass player from Led Zeppelin. So it's wow. like, you know, <laughs> you know, when I'm 14. Did you fan out? Yeah, so when I'm 14, <laughs> Led Zeppelin's like, you know, my favorite band. So yeah, of, course yeah. I, of course I want to talk to someone who is in Led Zeppelin, but of course I'm nervous as fuck. Yeah, and, then they go, and I go, okay, when's this interview? Thinking it's going to be next week or in two days' time. And he says, look, the thing is... Um, it's in 45 minutes, um, and I'm really sorry it just came up, but we know you can do it. And I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, cool. I'm actually at work, uh, but I'll, I can do it on my lunch break. So yeah. I'm like, you know, cool, I can do this. And so I go and book a meeting room, take my lunch break, sit down, and I'm on the phone with John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin, because uh-huh. that's what matters to me. Sure, he's in this other band, and sure, he's done other things, but he was in Led Zeppelin. Were you just talking about Led Zeppelin? Well, stuff? no, I mean, I've got to plug his tour and his <laughs> yeah. album and talk about what he's into, but of course I've got... Enough to, about the tour, man. I want yeah, to talk about... Yeah, of course I've got to get to, you know, but what do you ask him about, you know, what was it like being in Led Zeppelin? Yeah, you know, yeah, How do I you know. frame that? Well, that's the question <laughs> I wanted to ask. I want to ask you two things about, like, just the function of your podcast. How yeah. do you frame your questions when mm. you're, like, talking to a guest? Mm. Because I've been trying to learn how to become just better at my questions mm. and like more intriguing but also ways to like inspire conversations between two people well you're doing a good job i mean not just today but i've listened to your podcast and i think you do a good job but it oh, is a, it is a learning thing yeah you know? and i think like some days i think shit i'm really good at this well i don't quite think it like that but you know i listen back to it and i go that was good work and other yeah, days yeah. and other days i go think fuck that guest was excellent you know yes. i didn't bring my a game and yeah. so it is this ballet it is this this dance between the two and you and you're learning each time and everything that can happen will happen so you can go in super prepared going i'm going to nail this and for some reason the energy is just not there might be you might i be know the guest. Yeah. other times you can be like fuck i'm not feeling this 
I hope this goes well. And you walk out just elated going, that was an awesome conversation. Mm-hmm. I cannot believe. It feels like butter. I hit re- yeah, and I cannot believe I was the person who set that up and hit record and yeah. got it. I got that conversation. And that person might be really skilled at doing that, but they won't ever do it the same way as we just interacted and did that. So for me, it's about it's been about, you know, I'm a good talker. I'm a good listener. I'm a good researcher. I'm inter- genuinely interested in the people. I mean, I'm choosing the people I want to talk to. Mm. So I'm interested in them, you know, or I've decided to be interested in them. Someone's pointed them out to me and I've decided, yes, I want I want to work out who this person is and why I want to talk to them. Um, and, and lots of time at the wheel, listening to other podcasts, yeah. listening to other styles. You know, people who you don't necessarily gel with can be excellent interviewers. You know, I don't imagine Alec Baldwin is a nice person. I don't imagine that he is a person that, Maybe people watching this or listening to this think, yeah, I must go and check out his podcast. He's a fucking good interviewer, really good. I'm sure there are better, and I'm sure one of the reasons he's great is because he's so well-known and has such a presence and command that people are not going to want to fuck it up. They're going to want to interact with him because he has a good platform. I've stopped listening to his podcast because I've got bored with his particular tone of voice, but uh, you, you know he's really good. And that mm. was a surprise to me because I'm like, well, you know, he's – arguably a good actor and clearly an intelligent person but man he knows how to ask a question and he's smart and what do you how do you ask your question like what's the yeah, best yeah. way well uh, you know for me it's about just having a conversation yeah so i, when just, I think that's the great yeah. thing about podcasts yeah. is it becomes a conversation yeah. where you just go back and forth even like and what's happening right now you yeah, know what yeah. i'm saying like it's like oh yeah let's talk about yeah, it whereas yeah. like there's strict interviews which i try and steer away so from. you've asked me quite a few questions and i feel like you've asked me none which is great yeah like, which i, I think is the goal yeah and and you know to go back to this 10 minute phone thing so that teaches you good skills around how to really get these questions in mm-hmm. but you always walk away going damn i wish i'd asked them this or, yeah or why did i say that like that and you probably and don't feel connected with the other person of course as well, you don't because you're and just you, like hey yeah and you know don't, they don't and there's the barrier of the fact that it's a phone call so I wanted to, rem- you know, I'm no pioneer. Podcasts were going for, for ages before I started one. But that was my motivation was like, okay, let's show people I'm not an asshole. Let's show people that when I've got time to actually go through a subject with someone and not just write 300 words or speak to someone for 10 minutes, we can have a really good conversation. It can go in all directions. And, it, you know, it gives you that time to go, well, you know, I've, I've now I've got time to ask them that. You know, if I had an hour and a half with the bass player from Led Zeppelin, I'd ask him about the obscure dance music projects he made in the 90s, but I'm not going to do that when I've got 10 minutes because, you know. But but sometimes when you hit on something like that with someone, you know, someone told me ages ago, which I liked, that to get a really good interview out of someone, you already have to know everything about them. And I almost think that's true. Some days I think that's exactly it with, with arts, entertainment, uh, journalism. You've got you kind of got to prove that you know stuff because then you get them on board, but yeah, podcasts are changing that, and we're, we're getting people to show their vulnerable side. We're getting people to, you know, talk around the subject, not just answer the bullet points. Mm. And my thing with questions is, you know, with podcasts now, I go into them with none, pretty much. Well, this none. is I've written like a bunch of questions and I actually haven't even hit any of them yet. Oh. And what, that's kind of what I'm trying to get to a stage where it's just yeah. like, hey. And let the conversation have the, have flow. the backup absolutely yeah like, have, have the backup yeah. and i've definitely had like maybe one or two guests where i feel like i really need it mm. or there's guests like where there's some points that i'm really interested in getting into mm-hmm. 
but that mainly comes from a place of like being ignorant. Like I just don't really know much about the subject. So I want to mm-hmm. come in. So for example, like I had this guy, Nathan Wallace, who's like a neuroscientist mm-hmm. on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I don't know jack shit about yeah, yeah, neuroscience. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? So I'm not going to be like, hey man, so like the brain. Yeah, yeah. You know what it is from a Wikipedia. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And But I think there's real merit in like approaching each conversation being like, listen man, I'm pretty fucking dumb. Yeah. I don't really know what I'm talking about. Let's yeah. just, you know, you educate me and it kind of can relate to, you know, the audience once again in, in the sense that like, I don't really know much going into this topic, but let's just see what happens. If, if your audience or your guest starts off by thinking you might be a little bit dumb, that's just so much better than starting <laughs> off thinking you might be quite smart. You reckon? I think so because, like, you can only go. Can only go up. I yeah, you can only go up versus off. going downhill, right? <laughs> like, I mean, you know, sometimes I've felt with guests that I've talked to, some of them have felt more like an interview than a conversation. Yeah, and that's absolutely. for a variety of reasons too. Sometimes people have got an actual product to push. Sure, They've got their book out or their album, and they are they're in that cycle and they know that world and they want to hit their talking points. Um, other times, they they're not very experienced at being interviewed. Those you are know, my so favorite ones. Though. Totally, and those some, are my favorite. And you, you would find this too. I'm sure all podcasters find this. Uh, podcasters of our level find this is that sometimes you're talking to someone and it's the longest conversation about themselves they have ever and maybe will 100%. ever have. Yeah, 100%. and that's frightening to some people and really exhilarating to others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the internet and podcasts have leveled that playing field where, you know. Why can't we have this conversation? You know, we're not charging people. And if we are charging people, they get to decide whether they want to pay or not. Mm -hmm. So no one's getting ripped off here. You know, if people feel like they've had enough of me now, they can click out of the screen, right? Or they can can close off and find something else. And that's leveled the playing field. You know, that's really great. Like, why can't we? We might hit on something. I'm already enjoying this conversation, but we might hit on something really profound. Yeah. In just a minute. Not in this room. No bro. pressure. Just, just dumb no, stuff. No pressure here. on you, yeah. but we might really get to. You know what I mean? The pressure's yeah. on you, buddy. You're gonna have to bring <laughs> totally. that to the table. <laughs> totally. And and isn't that cool though? Like. Yeah. You yeah. Know, no, it's sweet. It, it's like, and I think this is another point too. Is is like there's real merit, which is what I've started doing, is like chopping it up into clips, mm. and then when you can get into those clips, you can really segment it, chuck mm. it out. Um, but I mean, with your podcast, you're audio only, right? But you yep. also write up the blog about each episode. Yeah, yeah. And that's like gotten you quite a bit of reach. Yeah, possibly. That way I, as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it made sense to me because I'm a writer. And it made of sense course. to me because I have a website that was going before I had a podcast. And it made sense to me because, um, you know, why not, basically? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, th- those are the reasons. And, and some weeks the blog thing is a little bit longer than others. Um, but I try to keep it as a pretty tight little intro thing. And, if, and it's a way of just, you know, having some links to some things if there are some contextual points. You know, if the person's written eight books and we talk about three, mm-hmm. you want to show that, hey, there's a lot of work here for you to look at. You know, we only talked about three of their books. Um, they've written eight. Here's the other five. You know, yeah, so of course. What, or, you know, or whatever. So there's that. Amazon too. affiliate yeah, link. Yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's all that stuff. I mean, I'm very, you know, and you will know this already because we had a conversation about podcasts and, and I've sort of outed myself as a, as a um, you know, slow adapter to technology. Um, you know, I'm but also not, early though. Like, well, in a way, but I'm not, um, I'm not interested to my own detriment in making the clips. I'm not interested in I get it. Yeah. having the video. I... I just want to have the conversation and record it, and I just want it to be there. And, you know, 
if it's three hours long and someone gives me feedback, don't do another three-hour long one. I'm probably going to put a three-hour long one up the next week. Right. You know, maybe not. Maybe I'm not that much of a dick, but I might. You know, yeah, I'm yeah. certainly... I'm certainly going to hear that and understand that, and I'm not going to do 10 three-hour conversations because three hours is Joe Rogan territory, mm-hmm. and I don't think many people want that apart from his dedicated fan base. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I can't... I think the longest podcast i ever had is like an hour and a half. Uh, I can't really... I think that's a really good amount. I think so, too. Like, yeah. I find it, like, tough to mm. carry it on, and these freaking seats are uncomfortable for that long, too. And I don't think that's a bad thing, though. No, you know, neither like, do I. You know, it, keep it business-like in a mm-hmm. sense is quite cool you know this is a cool environment you've created for these podcasts because it's focused yes we're here we cannot avoid eye contact mm-hmm. um, but it's not intimidating we've got things that we can there's, scan the room well, for there's if we space. Want. So there is space dude there's yeah. so many factors in like yeah. creating like a disarming environment the studio is great itself yeah. but like the laptop here, coffee yeah. there, it all contributes. It's to good. Like a, you know, uh, my thing was I wanted people to come into my home and see that. How do you, yeah, what do you think people coming into your home does to the conversations on your podcast? Yeah, well. Disarming? I, I, uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I've done plenty of ones where I've gone to people's houses and I've done, I mean, I did one, I've done at least one on the side of the road in a car where two of us just sat <laughs> in a car because we drove around in Wellington. It was a guy from a band. Yeah. It's one of my favorite podcasts is, that I did is a guy from the band Jacob, amazing band, and you know he got up early and his bandmates were sleeping, and he's like, "Well, we can't really do it in the hotel room." And I was like, "Yeah, my my wife and child are sleeping. It's Sunday morning. Let's go for a drive, go somewhere nice." He's like, "Great idea." We drove round and round. It started to rain. We just pulled up by the beach and sat in my car, and I interviewed him, and he told me these incredible stories because they're a band from Napier that have a massive following in Europe. You know, it's a fascinating story anyway, and um, and they opened for Tool. You know, and at Tool's request, and they're a fucking band from Napier. Wow. You know, and Tool chose them to open for them because they heard them and thought they were mind blowing. So you're going to get a good conversation out of that guy, no matter where it is. And I just like the fact that you can hear the rain on the roof of my car, and we're just sitting chatting, and I'm holding the recorder, and we're in the front seats. I like that, but. We would, I would have got the same conversation out of him if he'd come to my house. I know that because of who he is. Yeah. Um, but in terms of inviting people around, you know, my, my, my motivation, as I say, was, all right, you know, I was dealing with, uh, you know, some pretty heavy hate mail at times. You know, I had people threatening to burn the house down and, you know, empty, you, threats, empty threats, I would guess, I would hope. The house is still standing. Mm-hmm. But, you know... When one guy wrote to me and said, because I didn't like a particular hip-hop show, he's like, you're lucky I don't burn your fucking house down. And I wrote back to him and said, I forward all this sort of correspondence on to the police, so thanks for that. And he wrote back and said, you know, fuck the police, I'll burn their station down too. So I clicked on his profile on Facebook and under education that, it only listed a kindergarten, you know, so I'm like, I'm out. Like, I'm not, there's no more back and forth. <laughs> I just, just block, like, you know, and just block and hope for the best. <laughs> hope for the best. Were you getting a lot of hate? Yeah, there was a fair bit at times. And How do you deal with that? Well, you know, probably, probably in a lot of people's minds, it was not at all unwarranted. Regardless, was, though, it would still I have dealt with effect. it from the point of view that they actually were hating what I said rather than me. And, you know, yeah, okay. I had my photo on a website, so they could, they could totally hate me. And shit got personal. And that's fine. I just have no real issue with that. You know, when it, you know, I guess the culmination, like the big thing, is Robbie Williams sends out a picture of me holding my child when he's 
five months old mm-hmm. and says Simon Sweetman baby eat it and sends it to his what 1.2 million or whatever it is Twitter followers because he didn't like the review I wrote of his gig that has impact and uh, I was okay I was I was okay with it I was as okay with it I think as you could be what I was not okay with was how upset my wife was about it that that uh, <clears throat> that upset me but uh, that was probably the culmination in, in terms of reach, in terms of hate mail, when you get someone of that magnitude. I don't wear it as any sort of badge of honour. It was an annoying thing. Um, Are you a believer in the idea all publicity is good publicity? Did that help it, I, <laughs> increase You know, I don't reach? really think it did for me. Like, yeah. I, I, I guess I am, in theory, a believer in that concept, but I don't think it works for people in my position. Okay. You know, I think all publicity is good publicity to a degree. Well, I would argue too now, actually, you'd have to say that cancel, <laughs> cancel culture, and I, I only use that term to, to very quickly describe it. I'm not for or against it. Uh, cancel culture would argue that not all good publicity is good publicity, wouldn't it? You know, now, yeah, that, that would absolutely. be the answer there. Uh, and, I, and I don't think that's a bad thing, you uh-huh. know, because I think, you know, accountability is one of the things that's very hard to come by on the internet and maybe cancel culture is the, is the start of that and the, and the Me Too stuff is the start of trying to put in some form of checks and balances in a, in a, in a largely, um, you know, allegedly democratic yeah. and, and unchecked form. Um, but I'm, I'm, the, I'm the bad guy in this situation because I'm the reviewer who didn't like a popular artist. So, you know, I get hundreds of personal matches, messages from people saying, good on you for saying Robbie Williams is shit. I was there and he was. It was fucking awful. I got messages from fans going, hey, I'm a huge fan, but I have to agree with you. But of course I get way more messages from mm-hmm. people going, you're a piece of shit. You don't know anything. Your ears are painted on. Robbie Williams is a genius. Okay, even if he's not good, he's better than you. You're a fat cunt who can't sing. You know, whatever. So That was me. Yeah. And <laughs> I wrote that one. We worked it out. We're, we're working it out. We're working it out. This, you know, you know, this coffee's not hot, so I can't throw um, Yeah, exactly. You know, like, so all things were happening, but you're not going to win because you're in the position of you, you are the cartoon bad guy in that situation. I guess I always knew that you know I grew up I didn't try to be like uh, a savage reviewer but I grew up reading music reviews uh, positive and negative uh, balanced and completely over the top and I loved them all and I see the point of all of them because writing has to be entertaining Mm. you know and so my review of Robbie Williams I think was really entertaining Mm -hmm. you know I think it was you know let me entertain you I thought it was good yeah Yeah, got got a reaction you know but I also think like it wasn't written out of spite beyond the fact that I did not like his performance. Sure. That's not spite. That's, sure. obs- that's observation. And, uh, you know, anyway, that's the culmination of the hate mail thing, I, I think. And, uh, but, you know, people threatening to, you know, if I see you at a gig, I'm going to step you out. If I, <sighs> you know, if I see you down the street, uh, you know, my gang will get you, rah, rah, rah. And even, you know, the absurdity of it to me was uh, actually first put really prevalent when I went and reviewed Cliff Richard. Now, Cliff Richard is, you know, a, a boomer staple, an old, right. old guy. And I'm no Cliff Richard fan, but I know his legacy. And I go to the show as a music reviewer, and he puts on a good show for his fans. There is no way you could say he was not good. And so I write that. You know, it's arguably dispassionate. And um, the next day, I'm walking my kid in a pushchair 
you know, he's under two, and I'm taking him for a stroll in the morning, and a complete stranger walks past me who obviously knows my photo from the internet and goes, ha, Simon Sweetman, what a loser. Didn't realise you're a Cliff Richard fan. And I said, um, were you at the show, mate? And he goes, nah, of course not. And I said, oh, well, you'd be better placed than me to, to say that it was good, right? Mm. And he sort of scratched his head and was like, you're a fucking dick. And it was kind of like, you know, it was a fine interaction. I don't really care about it. But it was just like, you're not going to win against people that, 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 that that's their mindset. Here's a guy who was not at the show telling me that I had it wrong mm-hmm. for being at the show and reporting on it. Mm. So you're the you're the cartoon bad guy as the reviewer with a reputation. So you just got to roll with it. People are dumb. Well, so you know, dumb. I I would you know I would love to say, hey, what about the time I said this about your favorite act? You know, but I'm not going to sit there and try and win no, you don't argument. even try and you, rationalize you with these, you these people. So you just move on. I heard a so, funny story of uh, my friend putting together a comedy show and then wanting you to come review it. Because mm. uh, like, I need to get Simon. Simon's never come to my show. And yeah. you came and you just tore it to shreds. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> I think I know. I think I remember that. <laughs> and then he invited you back the next year as yeah, well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think we. I think he and I had some conversations around that even. So I sort of am amazed by that. Like, that's quite hey, incredible. Man, honestly. That's what I meant. No, but that's great from huge. Him. Yeah, and it's great from his point of view to actually yeah. go, hey, I asked you. You delivered. You said what you thought. Very That's on me. adult I, response. I, I sought yeah. you out, and uh, yeah, I mean stuff like that can be brutal. And the comedy world has been fascinating to me. What's your thoughts on? Uh, well, let's say New Zealand comedy, and mm. let's say by extension Wellington comedy. Yeah, well, I don't. I mean, I'm only getting to really know the Wellington comedy thing now, probably through podcasts. Really, okay. Thinking there's some good people to talk to. Um, I mean. I'm really interested to talk to you about comedy because I don't know your comedy. I yeah. know your comedy through your podcast. And yeah, it's very it. different. And it's, yeah. I can tell it's different, which is not to say you're not funny on your podcast. Yeah, Sometimes yeah. you are, but uh, you're not trying to be. No, it's and, definitely yeah. different. And I do feel like at times with my with like the podcast, if I wonder if I'm just trying to create like an image for myself mm. that perhaps like, cause when you do comedy, you can kind of, you know, you're at, at the end of the day, you're looking for validation from the audience, but at the same time, like you can do it through like an absurdist kind of take on reality, which in itself doesn't mm. really like, you know, I don't know. It's probably just a bit of an ego clash that I'm having. Like the podcast is one thing and it's topics that I'm genuinely super interested yeah, in, yeah, yeah. but then it's a clash in the sense that it's like my stand up comedy is just like looking for the laughs. You know also, what I mean? So it's, Fair to say, I think, that it's almost a cliche now to be the comedian with a podcast, 100%, right? 100%, so you're going, how yeah, do I yeah. navigate that? You know, yeah. Because, like, you know, Mark Maron, Joe Rogan uh, are two of the biggest names mm-hmm. in, po- in terms of across the last decade. Sure. They have been two of the biggest names. And, and there are, you know, Dax Shepard and Conan O'Brien and loads, loads mm-hmm. of others that have regular uh, podcasts. But those two are the two that legitimised the idea of the comedian being able to think wider than just getting their jokes. And Definitely. and certainly in Mark Maron's case, it's really what made him. You know, he was a middling comedian. Mm-hmm. And he was if, if someone tweets out now that I said that, he would still react to that. He's that got that much of a fragile ego, mm-hmm. even though he can fucking interview uh, Barack Obama and does an excellent job at it. He's great. He's a great interviewer. Yeah. And actually, I was listening to his most recent podcast last night when I was walking home. He's talking to... Rick Glassman, who's a comedian, and one of them said, I think it was Marin said, I think it was something someone else told them, but they said, you know, 
all comedians are really just looking for a way to control people laughing at them, you know, which I thought was fantastic. Ooh, you know, wow. <laughs> it's like, if I'm going to get up and be a clown, I might yeah. as well be the person who directs the traffic. That's a very yeah, interesting... Yeah, I thought it was cool. Yeah, yeah interesting it's point. It's not necessarily 100% correct, but it's an interesting point. Yes, a very interesting yeah. take. I would say, on the whole, it's yeah, probably correct. I reckon you know? Yeah, 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 definitely. I reckon it's one of those deep psyche things where it's like, you can negate that all you want. You're actually yeah. just it. <laughs> well, yeah, what do you think, like, the core ingredients for... What do you think is more important for an artist yeah. to truly get to a point of, like, fully being authentic and original and expressing themselves? Is it hard work mm-hmm. or is it, like, ingrained creativity? Yeah, I think it is hard work. I mean, I, I think... A lot comes down to just the good old-fashioned undefinable X factor, right? Something works for you Mm. because it speaks to you. And that's the magic. And that happens in writing. It happens in music. You know, some of us have tools to describe uh, the way a thing makes us feel. And some of us don't, so we go and look to others who do. Mm -hmm. But one of the best things that's ever happened to me as a reviewer is going, fuck, I do not know how to describe what I just experienced. That's so beautiful. Mm. And comedy is a tricky one because you're an instant punchline ruiner. You know, I find reviewing comedy really interesting. I find talking about comedy interesting. I've never wanted to be a comedian. I don't have that skill. I can be funny. I know I can be. I can be funny in my writing. I can occasionally be funny in my podcasts. I can be funny in conversation. I do poetry. I do performance poetry. And I know I can be funny in both the writing and delivery of that. But none of that translates to me wanting to be a comedian. But separate to all of that, or at least separate in my life, it's probably informed some of my delivery, but I've been a total student of comedy. You know, I've watched it. So what I'm really interested in with people like yourself, just thinking of your age, is, and you know, I know I interviewed Lucy, who's a friend of yours, who's a comedian, who has been on your podcast too. So I was interested in talking to her about this. There is a generation of people, you don't necessarily care about the icons of comedy the way me and my generation and the older generation felt we had to. And I, I hate doing these generational lectures, but I feel like that's an amazing thing that has stopped since Generation X. I think, well, you know, Generation X, we were sort of felt, we've been made to feel like whatever the boomers and the war babies did is a pedestal that we need to reach. Mm. And anyone younger than me has come in and gone, in, sort of people that grew up, first hand with the internet have gone fuck it I don't care I don't care if Richard Pryor's allegedly the most you know the classic stand up comedian or Dave Chappelle is that dude that made a funny YouTube video that's got millions of subscribers that I've watched on a loop on my phone is funny Mm. and I'm going to go on stage and do my version of that and I'm amazed at that I think that's awesome and so freeing but I'm fascinated by it I think it's because of how just the churn rate that we mm. see, you know, mm. and like how much of it that's actually out there and yeah. how accessible comedy actually is and mm. just any form of like persona, you know, like, so you go on to, um, for example, with old school comedy in the 80s mm. and 90s, you mm. probably see it on TV and that's it. Mm. Yeah, know? totally. Whereas now I can type in comedian and get access to a million different comedians yeah, yeah, just yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. And I think to, it's more or less us choosing who we want to be interested in rather than like this uh, organization saying, hey, yeah. this is the next This is the thing. hierarchy, yeah, yeah. That still exists, don't yes, get me wrong. Th- oh, yeah, yeah, I know it does <laughs> at, a, as a, at a performing level, of course. 100%. Well, well, the great thing I think about what, you know, technology, social media and everything has done is it's really just made, given everybody the opportunity to like kind of express themselves and yeah. quote unquote make it. Totally, you know what I mean? Totally. But at the same time there's a lot of exploitation that goes along like you know Spotify like we mentioned before mm, not mm. paying its artists and mm. stuff like that. YouTube having 
particular parameters. Yeah. Exactly. But Quite unobtainable ones for most of us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, like we still have that avenue. Things mm. are still significantly better. Before it was just like get a spot on TV, you know, or uh, and that was your only avenue. Like, yeah, I guess the thing that sticks with me about this stuff is like, you know, I put I put my poems up on youtube and i'm just doing that for myself you know yeah. i have something like 15 subscribers so i'm not you know if it suddenly becomes 30 or 100 i'll probably be slightly pleased if it drops down to five i won't stop the channel you know so it's just happening no matter what it's for me and i'm putting them there and i can send them to people if they want to see them and what people can discover them but my son who's nine who's growing up with youtube says to me you should do a funny video and then people will watch your poems more and i i find that deplorable you know the artist in me or whatever or the 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 serious person in me goes you know i don't want to trip over the cat and have thousands of people watch that on a loop not because it embarrasses me that i did it but it's embarrassing that that would be the gateway to a poem i wrote whereas i know people are quite happy with that and Mm. people go that's what i'll do but I'm also fine for someone else to do that. That's just not for me. I get it. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. maintaining... Um, Some sort of artistic integrity is happening with w- me. Which w- I totally yeah. get. I and totally I'm not get. saying it's not for anyone else. But yeah. yeah, yeah, that's my version of it. That's how I understand it. I do think there's a balance between like artists trying to survive though and mm. make it. You know, oh, We totally. all make compromises. If you Go want back to, be to a that full-time. thing you said about the constant stream we have yeah, to do. So, yeah, it's like, so people can compartmentalize it and go, well, I didn't want to make the tripping over the cat video. But I did it because it's getting me to here. Yeah. Now, I admire if that's the plan and it is that structured, there is that level of you know connection and thought. I admire that. Uh-huh. I don't have that. I don't have that. I don't go, I this is going to get me to there. I don't have that in me. Yeah, what motivates you? What motivates me is a good question. Uh, I've been um, thinking about that a lot over the last wee while and I'm not sure I can answer it with the certainty that I used to. But... I enjoy putting my voice out into the world, not because I think I'm any sort of authority, just because it helps me sort of reaffirm the things I'm interested in, what I know, and it's sort of helping me get to know myself. I'm noticing myself changing through doing this stuff. To go back to answer your earlier question about um, New Zealand comedy and the Wellington scene, you know, that's interesting for me because I sort of missed the major development in it because I was reviewing comedy for the newspaper in a situation where you would basically just review the international acts. So the big names would come, you know, Ben Elton, um, I don't, I'm trying to think who else, oh, you know, Bill Bailey, people like that, lots of, um, Danny Boy, people like that would come and do their shows and they would get reviewed and the local acts would not. Mm. And they might suffer, unfortunately, (laughs) in getting five minutes opening and that might be where they got mentioned. And so they might get absolutely ripped on. They might get five minutes... Mm-hmm. Uh, at the top of at the top of a gig, and someone like me might say that five minutes was shit, and that's their only column inch they get, which sucks. So a bunch of comedians started pushing the newspaper around, hey, you need to review local acts, you need to do this, rah, rah, rah. and this was 15 years ago. And so yes, there was a semi robust local comedy scene then, but not like there is now. Mm. And I moved away, got got moved away and moved away. Like, I, it didn't bother me to not review comedy. I liked doing it, but I wasn't going to be a person who tried to review comedy and I wasn't going to go and integrate myself in the local scene. And I knew that wouldn't work because you start to meet people. And when you meet people, it becomes much harder to be honest about them. 
you know, I've always wanted that little bit of distance as a, you know, I do know lots of musicians and I'm friends with some musicians that are well known and have made great music and in a lot of cases I stop reviewing them, you know, or I'll review them uh, because I really like them, you know, and, and always have and I feel okay about that. But I don't suddenly want to start reviewing someone because I met them at a barbecue and start giving them good reviews because mm. I know someone's going to, you know, I know in myself that's not right and I know someone's going to see through that. Mm. So uh, that distance is important and it's hard to achieve without looking like a bit of a jerk. So again, mm. into the podcast, you can have a conversation with someone. So you can have a conversation with someone that is not a review. So I might never review your comedy. I'm very interested in coming and seeing you do some comedy at mm. some point for sure because we now know each other. And so I want to see how, what that looks like and how that sounds. But it doesn't mean I'm going to review you. Mm. But we're having this interaction and, and, and really, hopefully, this is more meaningful than, than just a few lines on my website which is all it would be now because mm -hmm. the new so i guess that's a long way of saying i missed the major development in both the new zealand and wellington comedy scene you know back in about 2005 or 6 there were still like letters getting sent to the paper and notices on venues saying you know from a stab fairly established comedian saying simon sweetman is not welcome to review the show uh, you can send anyone else so the paper would sometimes not send anyone or, or, or maybe they sent someone, I, I don't always know. But I do know that I would go to venues to go and see something else. And, and a couple of times I saw a sign up with my name saying you're not allowed to be here. Do you think you were being unfair in your judgments? Or do you think, uh, because from a comedian's perspective, mm. I think I would want an honest, honest opinion on my comedy. But... Mm. I wouldn't want somebody there who I don't think is going to give an honest opinion yeah, yeah. or somebody who, and this is probably, but at the same time, you're probably approaching it not necessarily as a critic of comedy, but more just as an everyday person watching yeah. someone else's comedy, yeah. which therefore you should be a reflection of everybody it's, else. It, this is a really tricky, interesting question, I think. Uh, it might not be interesting for people listening, but this is the great philosophical dilemma of what subjectivity is. Uh -huh. You know, I can be subjective and give my opinion yeah and i can tell you until i'm blue in the face that i know heaps about comedy i love comedy but i'm also just i'm not a comedian so i'm just a punter but you shouldn't be reviewing should, it from the perspective of no no comedian. that's right and i shouldn't need to list all of that stuff yeah so listing that stuff doesn't help but not listing that stuff also doesn't help you know it's it's mm. weird uh, who are you and why we should get you know i've heard i've heard it all we should get comedians to review but review that's comedians. That silly does not that's no silly. Because it's like the joke structure was great. No mm. one laughed, but the joke structure was great. It's like you really should be getting a, who's your audience? You know, if your audience is comedians, yeah. then yeah. get a comedian to review it for sure. Yeah. You I know? mean, it's funny. Like, you know, the last, I haven't reviewed comedy for a long time. The last time I did anything about a comedian uh, that I can remember. I mean, I'll review the odd comedy special on my website mm. and comedy albums because I'm interested in that stuff. Mm -hmm. But local stuff. I guess, you know, there's been a lockdown for it as well. Uh, and so I've been to a couple of shows since, but nothing that I've thought about reviewing. You know, I went and saw Lucy perform because I knew I was going to talk to her for the yeah, podcast. Yeah. So again, I don't want to write about that. I just wanted to observe that because I knew who she was and I'd seen some YouTube clips. But uh -huh. I might as well go and see her in the flesh before I actually talked to her. So I did that. And I'll always do that sort of thing. Um, but a couple of years ago, I saw Nora Jones perform and... Uh, the musician and her opening act was Melanie Bracewell which I thought was a very odd yeah. thing to have happen but whatever and I did not find her funny and so I wrote a couple of lines at the end of the review that basically said 
you know, why did this happen? I didn't think she was very good. Now, I know she's a comedian of some notability in New Zealand. She does all sorts of things. And then not much after that, I was at a charity show performing, and so was she, and... What was, were you performing? Poetry? Oh, I was doing poetry. Yeah, yeah. It was, a, it was at the start of last year for the Australian bushfires. Yeah. And so I was doing some poetry for it. And it was, it was a variety show thing. Um, you know, musicians, poets, blah, 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 comedians. And she was in town, so she was on the bill. And Corey Gonzalez-McCure, um, who, who just introduced himself to me, I don't think we'd met, but he delighted in taking me over to introduce me to her. And he said, oh, this is Simon Sweetman who wrote that shit review about you. And she was gutted, and I could see it in her face. She was absolutely crestfallen, and she couldn't speak. And I took no pleasure in that. You know, that's mm. the reason I'm telling you that. Uh, this is not a trophy. This is not me going, yeah, I got her, mm-hmm. pinned her to the wall. But at the same time, I don't regret saying what I said because I did not find her funny. And that's the... I don't think that makes me like a borderline personality case. You know, I think that's just someone who knows what their role is. So I don't like making people feel uncomfortable when I meet them, but I'm aware that it can happen because of things I've done. So I didn't want to seek out any conversation with her because she did not want that to happen. So I'm going to leave her the fuck alone. Mm. Uh, I'm not going to try and win her over and go, hey, you know what? You're actually pretty funny. I just got it wrong. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to move away, which is what I did. Um, and that sort of thing has happened. If, you know, Corey was being the stirrer there, and I don't mind that he was being the stirrer. That was what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So I'm not really throwing him under the bus either. It's just a thing that happened. And those sorts of stories have happened. And that's why reviewing comedy is quite tricky. You meet someone, and you might like them as a person, and then not like their act. Mm-hmm. You know, David Cormack was uh, involved in comedy years ago, and now he's not. And I've had him on my podcast as a guest. He's a uh, PR guy now, and he's a very opinionated uh, guy in general and I like David and I never saw his comedy but I don't think I would have liked his comedy and he he certainly didn't like my comedy reviewing but he messaged me and said you know we need to let's have a beer I need to work you out and we sat and had a beer and had a chat about comedy and we you know I like to think we're friends you know we don't hang out lots but we stop and see each other in the street and talk and we follow what each other's up to and I had a great podcast with him but we just have completely different ideas about what works with comedy. So we are places as a reviewer, right? Because like your role, I, I don't really know, is your role really just to give your own opinion? Is that the end goal of the reviewer or is it to yeah, well, no, it's not. act as a beacon for the rest of society? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's somehow both of those things and neither yeah. of those things. Yeah, again, this is the, the weird philosophical undoing of subjectivity, isn't it? Um, I think that uh, when you're reviewing a gig, you have... Two jobs. Well, three jobs, I guess. You have two jobs. You're putting across your opinion and you're also cataloguing. You're, you're putting something down for the public record, something that happened in Wellington on the 25th of January in 1998. Mm-hmm. This happened or whatever. You know, I go back and write about some of my favourite gigs I've ever seen. And just the other day, I was talking about reviewing, uh, writing a piece about seeing Emmylou Harris in 2001. And so, you know, when I wrote about Emmylou Harris in 2001, that's a record of what happened in Wellington on that day. So it kind of becomes an archival news story. Mm. But it's totally driven by my opinion of whether I thought that was a good show or not. And that's driven by what I saw happen in the audience and how it went down, but also what I think of that person and what I measure her against as both all of her other work that I know and all of the other performances that I've seen. So how do you distill that all down into three or four hundred words? Yeah, well, you're going to get it right sometimes and you're going to get it wrong sometimes. 
And so there is no real answer beyond those are the things that I think I'm trying to do when I do that stuff. And I love the challenge of it. And sometimes you're doing it in 10 minutes, as I say, mm. at the end of the night. And that's exhilarating. And mm. it always was. You know, I love that. And sometimes I used to get sent up to the Dominion Post newsroom and type the review out live on the computer there for someone to literally just go, right, we don't even have time to edit that. That looks like it's good. I can't mm. see anything underlined. Grab, paste, that's going in. And it's total publish will be damned. The next day there's typos in it. And mm. you're like... Well, whose fault was that? Was that my fault? Was that the sub-editor's fault? It was both of our fault. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was both of our fault. Mm-hmm. And, uh, or, or, you know, little gremlins happen in the typing. Or someone, some sub-editor gives it a really shit headline because you don't come up with the headline. And then everyone talks about how, oh, that Sweetman said this. And did you read the headline? This is what he had the fucking balls to say. And I didn't even write the headline. Right. But you have to go with that. You know? That's a classic thing You drive yourself crazy trying to explain that mm, stuff to people, mm-hmm. wouldn't you? Every time. Hey, look, I stand by what I said, but by the way, that headline's not yeah, mine. But yeah. people don't know that. Uh-huh. You know, people don't know that. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be in your role, quite frankly. Well, the role doesn't exist now, you know. Is it gone? Really, it's gone. You know, yeah. it's it's totally gone. I mean, you get you look at stuff, and when 660 plays, you get reviews that mention the ticket sales, the alcohol consumption. They run as a promo for the promoter. Right. They run as an advertisement for the good idea of being at that show. And they're basically a puff piece for the band. And unless something spectacularly awful happens, like a, a set malfunction, you're not going to hear about it. Because they're sending along young reporters who aren't, who aren't music-focused, who aren't savvy about what's happening in entertainment and haven't got runs on the board following. And I, I'm careful to, you know, I'm not trying to say this as a bitter person who used to do it. I'm not auditioning for a role that doesn't exist. I'm just analysing how I see it now. Um, they, they aren't really reviews. And people don't want reviews because people can go online and write their own ones and read other people's that, you know, that, that aren't getting paid for it. So the idea is, oh, you weren't getting paid for it, so you must really love it. So actually, in a way, that's more authentic. Mm. It's funny. Like, you know, look, let's be honest. I only ever made 75 bucks writing a, re- uh, a gig review. It wasn't, you know, I ha- always had a full-time job on top of it. It wasn't, a lot of people had this idea that I was, oh, the real stink thing about that guy is he shits on everyone and he makes money doing it. I mean, you know, sometimes it wouldn't cover the expenses of getting there. Mm. Like sometimes you go to a gig and, and go underground parking and come out with a 40, $30 or $40 parking mm. bill and mm. then wait uh, two months to get $75 put in mm. your account. And if you buy a couple of beers whatever uh, yeah, yeah. you're, you're, you're out of pocket money. to go and yeah i'm gonna call this podcast the real simon sweetman because <laughs> you're just you're going exposed right now <laughs> well <laughs> you know it's, there's nothing there's nothing you know there's no secrets around any of this sure, it's, yeah, yeah. you know it's i mean i wrote a book last year of poems and called it the death of music journalism you know i'm mm. trying to i'm trying to own the fact that the role doesn't exist and i guess i'm trying to navigate well what's what do i do now like because for years, even though I was a bookseller and I was, you know, a nanny and I was a stay-at-home dad and I was, um, I worked in an office and I wrote news summaries, I was always in people's minds and including my own, I was a music journalist and I'm not, I'm not. It's still in me and I still go and talk on RNZ so I guess on those days I'm a music journalist but, you know, I'm not like I was because the role's not there like it used to be. And I'm wanting to own that and mm. explore, well, what do I do now? You know, maybe I will try comedy. 
Hey, y'all, <laughs> we're going to love it. They'll love you. Oh, we. What, what, what got you into doing comedy? Uh, I've always been funny. I think when I was younger, it was used as like a way of trying to just make friends, mm-hmm. you know? But strictly stand-up comedy. Um, me and my buddy went to a Raw Meet Monday, so which is just on Blair Street, open mic, mm. and it was horrible. And uh, he was like, you can do this. Yeah. You can absolutely do this. And I was like, you reckon I should do it? Should I and do it? I, I signed up. It went well, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. It oh, went good. really well. Yeah, first, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's weird because like, I think um, pe- I, there's not like a... I think everyone says their first time there was shit. That wasn't really the case. I wasn't great, but I was funny and I got laughs and I brought a bunch of my friends. So I had a, you know, I packed the room essentially. Mm. Um, but it went well. And I did it a second time and it went well again. And I did it a third time, and I just ate shit like so, yeah, so bad. What's I, that like? I mean, it was I, awful. Yeah. It was it was so shocking. Like I'm on stage, <laughs> and I'm just like, no one's laughing. Oh god! And it was like an empty room cavern club in the basement. Yeah, yeah. And I get up there, and I'm like, okay, my jokes aren't working. No one's laughing. And then halfway through, I just fumbled, and I went, guys, fuck this, and fuck you. And I walked off stage. That was it. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I did like I did three minutes, and the host what was like, they, "Oh no, Paul Douglas." Do you know Paul Douglas? No, I know the name, but no. Great guy, right. and he was emceeing, and it was great because he saw me like two years later, and then I like significantly improved. What did it? What did it? You know, when I'm asking you this, I'm not asking you this with you know like fucking. No, go like ahead, I'm, man. Like I'm going to go home and save it for the wank thing. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah, getting yeah, off yeah. on this at uh, all. Yeah, yeah. But what was it? What was it like in the moments after failing? Like, how did you process that and get over that? I. I had to sit back down in the audience after telling them all fuck themselves. Um, You sit down and it's, you feel really raw, but it's almost like after you have, for me at least, I can only speak from my own experience, when you cry, you know when you have a big cry and you're like, (gasps) but afterwards you feel refreshed. Yeah, cathartic. Yeah. And so I went up on stage, ate shit, but I was so disappointed in my performance and so disappointed in that I'd walked off stage. Yeah. I kind of came back at it going forward with like a bit more aggression and just be like, all right, yeah, I'm going to get better, you know, going to get better. Mm. But it was good. And I think bombing like that, you do, it's a classic phrase, you learn so much more from bombing than mm-hmm. you do from anything else. Um, well, it's true and it's true and other disciplines you know i think like in music it's really important to have shitty gigs sure yeah, failure is huge yeah, totally. you know yeah i got a lot out of it i yeah it's it's weird um as i've done more and more comedy i've been doing it for like two and a half years now and i've you know i, I want to be able to get up every night of the week but you just can't in wellington because it yeah, seems yeah. too small yeah um but shit man when I was reviewing it, you could only get up every month. So I know. You're already, I know. you know, like the platform has improved to such yes. a level that you will, because two and a half years is pretty fresh still, right? Very, like, in the comedy yeah, scene, the, for that's sure. What I mean. yeah, yeah. But when you think about it too, you compress all the time that you're actually up on stage, that's really only yeah. like an hour, two yeah, hours. Yeah, a couple of hours. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because yeah, 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 you're yeah. like seven you're And you do the same jokes again spots. and again. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but I think in Wellington, like the scene, we used to have VKs. Remember VKs? Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. That closed, unfortunately. Yeah, and that was, was going to act as our comedy yeah, club. Yeah. I never went. Dude. Oh, it was this great. Was before my I time. only went a couple of times, maybe three or four. I really liked it. But it had the writing was on the wall. You just knew going up there, oh, this place is great. I just don't think it's going to survive. And yeah. It didn't, you know? What do you think it was that? Oh, I just think it's a hard sell. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, God, you, you know, and the other thing is, you know, the horrible thing with venues in New Zealand is, and I know it happens elsewhere, but my experience is in New Zealand, you have to sell alcohol to function. And when you're 
doing open mics, comedy, experimental music, anything fringe, 90% of your crowd are there to buy one drink or a coffee or they're broke. water mm-hmm. and, and their argument, if they need one, is that they're there to support the act and maybe they paid the cover charge, but quite often they're on the door one way or another as well. So you just got to look at the takings and go, this is a fucking failure. This is just not going to survive. Stuff. This It's tough. So you don't go, ha-ha, bummed out. You, you go, shit, that's tragic. Like, it's awful, but that's just the reality. I mean, I've, I've been in those spaces, you know. I've been and played as uh, a musician in bands to in bars and attracted a crowd of nearly no one and gone, this, but, okay, this is on us tonight, totally, but also this venue won't be here for long and it's been closed within a month. Mm. And then I've been, you know, sometimes you go back and it's thriving because someone really good is playing, you know. So, Slap in the face. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, whatever, yeah, a little bit. But mm. also, you know, be realistic. I ne- I've never played in a really great band. I'm an okay musician. I'm no great musician. I can play. I can get through the gig. I play the drums so I can always make it work. There are mm. far better drummers than me. But on the night performing, I'm going to do enough to justify being there. But I played in covers bands that were either, you know, paid before the gig and it didn't matter who was there, or I've been playing in weird little experimental things where, you you know, if you get five or ten people along, you're, you're stoked. Yeah. So I'm not using it as that sort of barometer, but I just know. And then obviously as a reviewer and as a fan of these things, uh, I've been in every kind of show and every kind of crowd you can imagine. And I've worked the door in venues, you know, helping out mates. And mm-hmm. I've... Uh, I've done performance, po- you know, I've had two sort of cracks at poetry in a way because I sort of earnestly attempted performance poetry in my 20s and I got a few spots opening for bands and I did open mics and I did a couple of my own shows and I uh, even did some sp- completely improvised spoken word with a band and all of that stuff was terrifying and really good for me. Um but I'm really glad I sort of knocked it on the head. I think the reviewing thing happened and life happened. I got a job and my I lost my passion. I didn't really quite believe a lot of the stuff I was saying. It was more, uh, I didn't really have my voice down, I reckon. Mm. And so then I've come back to performing poetry as I've, I've always kept writing it, but I've come back to performing poetry now in the last two or three years with a real purpose. I like the stuff that I'm doing. I think it works. And I'm very confident about getting up and performing them. But because I'd had... 15 years of not doing it. Man, I fucking died on stage again when I yeah. started going to open mics. And I loved it. Mm-hmm. It was awful but exhilarating. It's yeah. really important. And standing there and reading poems that you know the audience is cringing <laughs> because they can't handle what you're saying. You don't you don't get off on it, but it's important that it happens. Yeah, yeah all of those experiences are important. I love and I'm it. fascinated in that with comedians because, you know, some comedians I've talked to, they bombed the first time. So you basically go, and I'm sure anyone listening Ultimate failure and you improve. You just go, why did you fucking do it again? uh (laughs) And so I instantly like hearing the idea that the person did. Yeah. I want to, you know, whether you're good or not is irrelevant. Shit, you've got some, even if it's a little bit of stupidity and a little, you know, a little bit of uh, delusion. Desperation Desperation and delusion. There's some stickability about you that you've got up and done it again. Mm -hmm. And I'm amazed by that. But it must have been awful to hit hit it out of the park in a relative sense a couple of jarring. times jarring it then was just so just jarring fucking my died. friend came and I just sat down with him <laughs> in the audience this is when my friend still came to my stand up now yeah, yeah. Like, no more jeez hey Simon now I know we want to do like a joint podcast yeah. thing but I gotta start wrapping this up yeah, I yeah, just yeah. realized um, 
Is there anything you really wanted to ask me? Well, I sort of wanted to ask you around. I mean, what we might do is you might have to come and do my. Actually, I feel like maybe podcast. we should actually yeah, do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Because um, I don't I've know if we. It. Yeah, yeah, no, this yeah. has been great. No, I've really enjoyed this. But oh, it's I good. Think, uh, um, but I'm, I think as far as collab goes, yeah, yeah, definitely. I agree. I agree. Um, I'm kind of curious, and you know, you you started to talk about um, your voice as a comedian versus as a podcaster. Yeah. So we haven't really figured out um, why you wanted to get into doing the podcasting entirely. You know, I, I why get, don't we talk about that on your podcast? Yeah, okay. I think that would be that's, good. That's I think fair. we should do that because yeah, right. that's because then we yeah, can yeah. go deep into yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's fair. That was a that was a stink last question for a ten minute phone. <sighs> I know, I if know. this was a phone call, I would have oh. gone. Off. I would have got off and gone. Yeah. But that's, dee, 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 that's dee. the thing. Those <laughs> those ten minute phoners are. Teach you how to just go. Bah. They are like when you. They can be like when you bomb on stage. You get I off bet. the phone and go. Holy fuck. Yeah. And I've, yeah, my favorite story about that is actually a friend of mine. She interviewed Ben Harper and she said she, she wasn't really that into him or music journalism, but she was an experienced reporter and it was just a job. And she was talking to him and she said he was an asshole. And, yeah. and, and you know, when you say that, other people will have had great experiences with him. Uh-huh. It's just the moment that you get these people in. And so she said she was struggling. And then she said to him at the end, um, towards the end of 10 minutes, you know, crawling along about the seven minute mark. She says, uh, um, can you describe your, um, you know, your relationship with New Zealand? Because you come here a lot. And, and, he, and he said, my relationship with New Zealand is too special to describe. And she's going, oh, fuck, you know. Uh-huh. And then he said, you've got, he goes, let's just have one more question. And she said, some, some generic question about, you know, your new album. Right, right, yeah. And, and he said, you, he said in third person, you had one question, one final question with Ben Harper and that's what you asked. <laughs> and so she's like, I just slammed the phone down. Like, you know, like was, all I could do was go, fuck you, dude. Like, <laughs> now there are so many stories like that. And now that, that's not to paint him as an asshole. You sure. know? He, he was an asshole in that moment. Sure, yeah. sure, sure, yeah. yeah. People fuck. are in uniform and all. That's pretty yeah, badass. Yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we've all got stories like that. And it is, it is the equivalent of a comedian oh, bombing on stage, I, I think. Bet. Yeah. I bet, You yeah. feel shit. And then you learn from it. Yeah, jeez. Right away, Simon Sweetman, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you, sir. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed. That was fun. I had a blast. Let me know what you think. Check out all the details in the show notes uh, to the side below. I don't actually know. It depends on where you're listening. Come to my show, American Refugees. Check out Simon Sweetman's stuff. And thank you for tuning in. Bye.